Welcome to the best of sold-out sports talk with your host, Roman Gabriel III. Up-close conversations with high-impact personalities from the world of sports and entertainment. Follow Roman on Twitter and Facebook at Roman Gabriel 3. Today's show will feature interviews with Team USA Olympic skeleton racer Katie Ulander and former All-Pro Broncos linebacker Carl Mecklenburg. Visit SoldOutTV.com for all things faith, family, and sports 365 days a year. And follow Roman on Facebook at the Roman Gabriel III fan page. Now, talking with Olympic skeleton racer Katie Ulander, here's Roman Gabriel III. Coming in with this two-time world champion skeleton driver and uh, getting ready for her fourth Olympics in South Korea, Pyeongchang. With us today, uh, Katie Ulander. Katie, how are you? Great to have you back. Great. How are you doing? Oh, I'm awesome. Awesome. I'm awesome. So we're talking to you. You were telling me before we went on today, you're in Lake Placid. You're in New York. You're getting ready, right? Yeah, I'm at the Olympic Training Center in Lake Placid, New York, the site of the 1980 Games, and I am training. My only focus this time around is the Olympic Games. So I eat, sleep, train, and that's it. I'm going to be the most boring athlete ever for the next six months. <laughs> okay, but the the real question here, we'll get to all the training stuff, but what color is your hair right now? It's red. Okay, so we're still red. Good. So you're sticking with that all the way? Of course. It's my signature move at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> it's long, though. It's long. I have long hair, and I kind of it's like an ombre style, so it goes from like dark red to bright, bright red. Well, the, the the good the good news is is not only do you compete hard, but you got serious hair. That's what we all love about you. Of course. <laughs> well, listen. There's no other way. You know, I've become a hardcore skeleton fan because of you. But for the fans that are listening, you know, that are just tuning in that don't know what skeleton is, Katie, why don't you fill them in? Skeleton is the best thing ever, especially if you like sledding or like water slides, because you. Essentially, take a cookie sheet size sled and you jump on it head first, and it feels like you're flying. It's those thing. It's a thing where you start to fear how fast you're going initially, and then you stop and you're like, "I have no brakes." So you embrace the fear, and it becomes part of you, and you end up craving more of it, and going with gravity and absorbing the relaxed chaos around you. It's it's pretty amazing. So for those people that in their car go 80 miles an hour on the freeway, four feet up, in case, silently, smoothly with four wheels, you're like inches from, you know, the ice going 80 miles an hour with absolutely no brakes, right? No brakes. I can't really see a lot. But you know what's weird is after doing it for 15 years, uh, I feel safer closer to the ground going that fast. <laughs> like anytime I, I like increase my height visibility, it feels really scary. So um, vehicles are similar, I would think, but I think the most close feeling I've had or similar feeling is uh, skydiving. The, oh, the only difference is there's more openness. So like when you're, when you're falling, it feels just like skeleton, except it's like more open. So in with skeleton, you're, it's a tunnel, like you're in a little icy tube, uh, which which is actually safer, believe it or not. Like I think it's one of the safest sports I've done. <laughs> and you, and, and by the way, you you, you did some cycle. You've done cycling. You've done um, competition weightlifting. But I assume that you got out of the weightlifting because of the injuries, right? Just tough on the on the joints. Yeah, twenty 
12 Olympic trials. I competed to for a shot to go to London, and um, I had planned on post-Sochi attempting to make Rio, but I found out that I competed with no soft tissue in my hip and a hole in my ankle. So I had hip surgery right after Sochi, followed by ankle surgery, which is why I took time off uh, competing this quad. And then when I came back, I, I did not, I, I told my coaches that I would slide, but I didn't want to race and I didn't want to train or push myself. If I had pain, I was going to sit back because I research recently has shown it takes two years to recover from surgery. A hundred percent. Not saying that you can't compete prior to that, like a year out usually is what they say. But what I've noticed, and I've had 12 surgeries is that if I give myself that extra year, I'm like for real back like better than I was before. So that's why this quad, I don't really have uh, too many results on the races because I decided to take a step back and just focus on, on Korea. So this is going to be my debut season, basically coming back from Sochi and I got a fire under my butt to tell you what. All right. Well, Katie Ulander's with us. She's getting ready for Pyeongchang South Korea 2018 winter Olympics. And she's got world cup coming up. She's going to have to challenge some very talented young ladies to get that top three, to get that shot at that one award that she has uh, missed that she wants. And, you know, Katie, one of the things I love about your story and love about so many people's stories, especially in our country is, um, you know, just rags to riches in terms of what it takes to get to the top and the trials and tribulations that sometimes you have to go through in order to be a champion. And, and you don't have to necessarily win the biggest award to be a champion. And God obviously blessed you with, with athletic abilities. Of course, your father, we know Minnesota Twins and, and uh, incredible baseball player and coach and taught you how to be a, an athlete. And uh, But tell me, just tell me from a perseverance standpoint, all you've been through, you get to that fourth one and you're at the top of the hill. What's going to be going through your mind, and what are some of the things you've learned about yourself through this process? Well, one story I continually go back to in my head is one that my father told me early on in my career. I had just made junior world championships, but I'd only been on a sled for three weeks, and I, I didn't think I deserved to go. I was competing with an Olympic champion, America's Cup champion, all these champions, and I'd been on a sled three weeks. I was like, what am I doing here? And he said, let me tell you about the time that I was in Yankee Stadium for the first time, Mickey Mantle on the outfield, 60,000 fans, and I couldn't get my legs to stop shaking. He said, I stepped out of the batter's box at least five times. And then I realized that no matter what, the legends before me had to take the same steps I'm taking into the batter's box. And once you're there, nobody cares how you got there. You have one job, to hit the ball. He said, whether it took me two days or 10 years, he said, all of us have the same job in the batter's box, and it's simple. And when he told me that story, I was like, oh, I totally get it. Like, it doesn't matter what I'm thinking, all these thoughts, negative, positive. Once I'm on the line and I'm there to compete, I have one job. And none of this other stuff changes that. Like, even all my preparation leading up to it, it doesn't matter because I have one job to do at that moment. And so when I get to Pyeongchang, you know, no matter all the, the nonsense leading up to it, when I get to the line... I'm bringing everything I got. Katie Ulander with us, Team USA, uh, going after her fourth Olympic appearance in the skeleton. And, um, Katie, you know, one of the things that, you know, you've done through your career, and it's been a long one, and, and I know I know you're blessed to do it, is you've had an opportunity to, to be around and to influence and be influenced by so many people. 
Um, tell me about just, you know, as you look back on your experience to this point, just what it's been like to, to be able to, I know, I know being a role model is important to you. So, so tell me about just the satisfaction of that. Well, I've, I had my hero. I was lucky enough to have my hero be my father. Um, and then my best friend, Stephen Holcomb, uh, became an Olympic champion. We started out winning together in 06. We called it the dream, dream season, 06, 07. Uh, we won so many races that uh, we didn't even have to compete by the end of the year to, to take the overall title. And they are two people that have pushed me the most and have constantly brought me back to ground zero and understanding that no matter what you accomplish or what your legacy is, it doesn't matter. Like, what matters is the moment, like when you step into the batter's box and you're there to hit or you're there to do whatever job you have in front of you. And the thing that I try to remember is to be humble and open so that I can learn from those around me. I think that the best thing you can do uh, is be awesome to inspire others to do the same because that's what my father and my best friend did for me. How difficult is it to be an Olympic athlete like you and to know that it's every four years and, and to go through all the things you have to go through to get there for this honor? Well, I don't know if you guys remember the name Dan Jansen. He was I a do. speed skater back in the day, and it took him four Olympics to win his gold. And I talked to him in Sochi after I lost by 400th of a second, and I was like, man, how did you do it? I said, because right now, losing by 400th of a second, I cannot imagine going another four years. And a 400th of a second, to put it in perspective, is faster than you can blink. And I just could not comprehend or fathom, like, I'm going to train so hard for the next four years to potentially have this happen again. And Dan looked at me, and he said, you can't think about it like that. Take it one day at a time and do what you need to do to get there, and don't worry about the rest. It will come. And Katie, he told that, me that, his story. That's why we admire you guys, though, because when the Olympics come around, you know, they do the stories on you guys. Everybody gets toned into the Olympics for that for that two-week period. And then it's almost forgotten. And you're talking about, I mean, if we were to put this in comparison, like going back to college for four years. I mean, I remember that four years of college to get ready for the draft in professional football. You've done that. This will be your fourth time. So it's amazing how well your body has held up through all the, the, the punishment and the injuries and just your perseverance has been amazing. Well, thank you. I, I don't think I have a choice, though. I mean, if the option is quit or keep on, I'm going to keep on. My father told me once, and I took it as a challenge, he said, do it right or don't do it at all. And he knew quitting was an option, so I only had one choice, to keep getting up and try again until I got it right. So he wasn't expecting me to be perfect every time, but he did expect me to keep trying. And I think that's the key message here is that, you know, when you step into the batter's box, you're always going to be up against the odds. I mean, those guys hit one in three three times that they're at that, but they believe every time they step into the batter's box, they're going to get a hit. And I think that was his point um, in the story about him with Mickey Mantle on the outfield and 60,000 fans is he realized that he just had to believe he could do it and step in there and just go do it. Keep it simple, but never give up and, and be open to learning and be humble. And those are the lessons I'm trying to take to heart. And I think now that I'm in my 30s, I'm blessed with the ability to actually come into maturity with those those lessons. Whereas when I'm, I was younger, I was easily distracted and overwhelmed, and now I'm just really honed in on who I am and what I want to do. So what kind of response do you get in New York City when you're kicking it? Because do me a favor, guys out there, guys and gals that are listening to the show, uh, we got Katie Ulander on uh, Olympic Skeleton, 
and uh, she's getting ready for her fourth Olympics in South Korea coming up in 2018. And, uh, you know, one of the things, Katie, that's, that, that, that people just don't get is, uh, you know, you have this flair, and, and, and people, and people love, love your attitude. They love your bright spirit. They love, you know, the dress up. They love everything that goes along with it. So what would it mean to you to, uh, to medal this time? What, what, what would it mean after all this? Well, in Sochi, when I thought, I honestly thought that I had won um, because the girl was losing time and her run was so bad. I did not expect to lose by four hundredths of a second. I had honestly tasted the medal as I was watching her come down. And then in an instant, it was taken away. And prior to that happening, I had everything that went through my mind was just gratitude. I was so thankful for all the support and the fans I had. And I really just couldn't believe it had happened. And I just wanted to give them the thanks and in my mind it was america's medal it wasn't my medal so when i lost i felt same gratitude just sorry for not performing and not bringing that medal home because for an instant i thought i had brought it to all those people that had been there with me on that journey um so that's this time like if i if i win this time it's not my medal it'll be america's medal and all those people that helped me get here and never stopped believing You're listening to a best-of edition of Sold Out Sports Talk with Roman Gabriel III. In this segment, Roman talks with Carl Mecklenburg, former All-Pro with the Denver Broncos. Visit SoldOutTV.com for all things faith, family, and sports. And follow Roman on Facebook at the Roman Gabriel III fan page. Now once again, here's Roman Gabriel III. With me is a good friend of the show, Former Denver Bronco, he was the 1986 AFC Player of the Year. He went to three Super Bowls with those great Bronco teams, and uh, now he's out uh, making a difference in the corporate world and in schools. Uh, Carl Mecklenburg with us. Carl, how are you? I'm doing great, Roman. Great to have you. Uh, you're today up in uh, cold South Dakota, right? North Dakota, even colder. <laughs> even colder. <laughs> north of the border. Yeah, north of the border. Well, we we uh, yeah, know in the it's. I was gonna, I was going to say it's uh, it's a great opportunity for me to to speak to a couple more groups of, of people and and uh, you know let them know what what uh, you know what my values are and 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 the reasons I've been able to to do what I've been able to do with my life. You know, you have uh, you played the game of football for a long time, but you were telling me off the air that that now you've been a corporate and school speaker longer than you played football. So. Uh, it has to be great to be able to, as you've said many times, to use that goodwill, to use that platform to go out and uh, inspire others. Yeah, it, it, I mean, what a what a blessing! I, many people struggle to find uh, one job that they love, uh, one you know, sometime during their lifetime, and to to find uh, a, a second profession that uh, that God's blessed me at, and that I'm able to. Uh, excel at and, and, and really impact people's lives is, is just a, a tremendous blessing. You know, as I look back, uh, it, it makes a lot of sense. You've got a great story. Um, you know, we talk a lot to people out there who are struggling to find their dreams and goals, and a lot of people out there, especially in the schools that I go to where kids talk about what they want to accomplish with their life, uh, but they feel like sometimes that uh, maybe there's some things that are holding them back regardless of what it is, but they lose hope. But your story is such an inspiration, coming out as a 12th-round pick in 1983 
and immediately making an impact and becoming one of the best defensive players in the NFL with the Denver Broncos. And um, so many people can associate with those kinds of stories, can't they? Yeah, you know, uh, life's not easy. Uh, it, it's a struggle. Uh, you're not always going to end up, in, you know, in, in, a, in a position that, that you think uh, you should be in. I, I was uh, I was an afterthought. I was the 310th pick of the draft. That's 20 guys away from Mr. Irrelevant. Um, uh, playing a 240-pound nose guard that don't make it in the NFL very often. And uh, but I got a chance, and and I I believe that that I was going to make it. I I, uh, I, I love playing football. I was going to play until someone made me go home. And uh, you know, 12 years later, uh, they, <laughs> the writing was on the wall. And it was time to go home. Carl, what was the point uh, when you came to the Broncos? Because uh, I, you know, we've talked about this before that uh, you know you start down the depth chart, especially w- when you're a 12th round pick or a free agent. Um, what what was the point that clicked in for you that y- that you could do it or, or that you had the opportunity to do it? You know, actually, it was in college. Um, I had a had a coach, uh, the late Mike Wynn, uh, the defensive line coach at the University of Minnesota, who had. Uh, Played a couple years in, in the league uh, with the Raiders, and, and he he talked to me about what was what was necessary to make it at my position. At the time, I was playing defensive tackle. He uh, we talked about uh, pass rushing. If you could if you can uh, rush the passer, they're going to find a place for you in the NFL. Um, my my junior year uh, at the University of Minnesota, I split time with some uh, a senior and uh, ended up uh, leading the, the Big Ten in sacks and. Uh, think that was it when 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 i was able to lead the big tennis sacks and and all of a sudden i'm like wait a second uh a lot of guys make it in the nfl out of the big 10 if, if i can uh if i can do that at this level maybe i can do it at the next level too carl mecklenburg with us he was a six-time pro bowler and uh, appeared in three super bowls with those great bronco teams and you know denver's such a special place in terms of their football history and you know, for so many years, Carl, uh, the Broncos were an afterthought until you guys brought them to the forefront in, in making those championships and going to those Super Bowls. Um, tell me about the tradition of the Broncos. I mean, how close is the alumni? And, of course, with finally breaking through twice in 96 and 97 with guys on that team that you knew, uh, what, what's the atmosphere in Denver with the alumni and just, the, just the, the, the whole feeling in terms of the organization and what it's accomplished? Roman, it is a it's an amazing group. Uh, even even before I got there, when, uh, the the group that uh, the Orange Crush teams in 1977 uh, first trip to the Super Bowl for the Broncos. Uh, when I when I got to the team, uh, most of those guys were still uh, on the defense, uh, playing uh, playing well in, in their later years, and and really able to mentor us and, and teach us what it meant to be a Bronco, how to uh, how to handle ourselves not only as professional football players but as men. Uh, it was a it, it was an awesome awesome experience. My rookie year, uh, thirteen guys, nineteen eighty three, thirteen rookies made the team. It was a it was a house cleaning. Uh, they, they brought us in and and instead of uh, the veteran guys that were still on the team uh, being upset about it, uh, they realized that they took us under their wings. Uh, and taught us about uh, being a professional football player and got us up to speed. Uh, it would it would uh, it would help the team, and, and that's what they were there for. So uh, so it was a, it was a great environment when I got there. Uh, 
but playing with the likes of uh, you know John Elway and uh, and Gary Kubiak and uh, you know uh, Tom Jackson, the, the still older there guys there? and the guys that came later. That that was that was huge. You know, one of the things one of the things that's interesting about um, what people talk about the history of the NFL, the, the, you know, they talk about the golden age of the NFL being the you know the '70s and early '80s, and um, you know, most teams, Carl, you had guys that played for a long time. You mentioned how veterans had such an impact on rookies, and there was a, almost a obligation to mentor or to bring guys along. But with the advent, you know, in the early '90s of free agency. That's almost gone now, isn't it? Because veterans of value seem to be the ones that go first. Yeah, it's a, it, it really is a, a juggling, uh, a, a juggling effect with the with the rosters. It, I, I I truly feel that the teams uh, that I played on would would fare very well uh, in, in today's NFL just because we knew what the guy next to us was going to do without even looking. We, we played together for years. We, we understood each other's strengths and each other's weaknesses. Uh, you know, my job as a leader is to use the team's strengths to cover for your weaknesses and, and, and use your strengths to help the team. And that, that's, that's what we did. And, and uh, it was it, that, that type of teamwork, that type of cooperation, that type of understanding of what's going on around you is, is uh a tremendous, a tremendous thing in any sort of team situation, whether you're talking about in a family situation, in a community situation, in a business situation, it's the same concept. Uh, we, we had it for, you know, for those years. It was, it was tremendous to go to work every day. Uh, we yeah. all had the same passion, the same mission. We were all heading in the same direction. I read a quote that you said once where you said, there's such a value in making commitment to the community, and it's not a burden in any way. I encourage all players to take advantage of it as much as they can. Is it harder today to do that with all the social networking and all the attention on players, or, or when you played, did you find it that, that that was an easier commitment to make in terms of just going about your business and what you had a passion for without all the hoopla? Yeah, you know, actually I think you can make a bigger impact now with the social media. I, th- I think uh, there's much more opportunity to get your point of view, your uh, your commitment to the community, and, and and get it out there so people can see it. Uh, I, yeah, there, there's there's so many opportunities now for players to 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 do just that. Uh, the the whole thing with the kneeling during the during the national anthem that that that's totally unnecessary. There's they, the guys can can get their point of view out through the through the internet, through the social media, through the radio, through the television, there's all kinds of opportunities for guys nowadays. It, it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, during the game. Carl, do you think the breakdown is with the owner, the the owners, uh, the commissioner, both? The or the, is everybody culpable in this situation? Players, owners, and 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 Roger Goodell and the in uh, the NFL offices. Well, I, I think I think it's the nature of uh, of football players. Uh, truthfully, I think when when you're uh, a young football player, you feel inv- invincible. You you see uh, you have a very myopic view of the world. It, it's it's you know your life and maybe the life of the guys on your team, but you don't you don't see the whole world uh, the way you should. Um, and, and that's that's one of the the values of having veteran players around, guys that uh, that are mentors that have have, have seen uh, the way things can go wrong if you're if you're uh, uh, perceived the wrong way in, in the media. So, so to me, um, 
it, it, it was a breakdown maybe right from the start when, when free agency started and, and guys were moving around all over the place and you, and you really didn't have that family-type atmosphere on, on each team. Carl Mecklenburg is with us, former Denver Bronco linebacker. And, um, Carl, you know, I want people to know what you're doing. Obviously, you're out speaking all over the country to corporations and schools and inspiring others. Um, for those out there that would like them, uh, like you to have the opportunity to host you at their church or at their business or at their club, uh, how would they get hold of you and, and, how, and how can they uh, get involved? Well, you can go to carlmecklenburg.com. Uh, the, my website. Uh, I've also got uh, got an app. If you if you're an app person, uh, same thing. Carl Mecklenburg uh, is the app. Um, it's 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 not hard to find me. I'm 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 all over the country. Uh, like I said, I'm in Bismarck right now. Uh, I'll be in, in uh, Cheyenne, Wyoming. I've, I've, for the last month, I've been in, in Nashville. I've been in Atlanta. I've been in uh, you know I've been, I've been all over the place. I've been in. Uh, in Billings, Montana, I've been all around. Guys, I've heard this guy, so you, you need to have Carl come out if you have the opportunity, if you've got the ability to bring him into your corporation or your church or your school as well, because we want to get young people squared away. Carl, it's always a pleasure to have you on Sold Out and uh, wish you nothing but greatness, blessing as you travel the country, and good luck in North Dakota. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Take care, Roman. You've been listening to Sold Out Sports Talk with Roman Gabriel III. Our podcasts are available at AFR.net. You can follow Roman on his official website, soldouttv.com, and on Facebook at Roman Gabriel III. We'll catch you next time on Sold Out Sports Talk, your source for faith, family, and sports.